Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to be up in our business, doesn't he? He is just coming a so beautifully practical and helpful and honest, and, and he's just so rich about just, just laying out, hey, here's what the kingdom is like. And today he's talking about anxiety. He's talking about worry. It's probably not an issue for many of you guys, so I'll be real quick and we'll just move on, right? Now he knows that it's, it's a huge thing, right? Anxiety is, is like the number one thing that like, if you look at a mental illness, like disorders, things people are being treated with, this is the number one, uh, this is the number one issue. I get it. It's an umbrella issue. There's a lot of things within that, different um, you know, struggles and disorders, and, and a lot of those are clinical. A lot of those are chemical. And I, and I just want to say real quick, I'm not trying to minimize or make light of that. We, we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual dimension. We're going to be talking about uh, very practical things that do lead to anxiety and can lead to some of those other things, but I don't want you to, you know, just go off your meds without talking to your doc, and I don't want to be reckless about this. However, I would say, let's not be too quick to just lean on the clinical either. Like, let's, let's make sure we're bringing our whole self before the Lord, okay? So I just want to lay that out as a disclaimer, but, um, you know, my brief study uh, showed that uh, Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 or older. That's around 18% of the population each year. I think it's said a little over 10% of people have uh, experienced panic attacks at, at different times. I know that that would be true for a lot of you guys. Uh, even people like myself, I don't consider myself anxious. My, my wife chuckled at that today. She's like, you operate out of a high state of anxiety all the time. But y'all know I talk fast. Maybe you're chuckling too. But anyway... Um, but I don't consider myself an anxious person, but I have had a couple of panic attacks. And, and, and you know what that feeling is like. It just kind of hits you and, and, and you can't, it ain't just a suck it up moment, right? Like it, it's, it's a thing that you can't just, there's no, there's no logic there. You're, you're, you're beyond reason and, and it's, a, it's a really difficult spot. And some, that can become debilitating and very connected to depression. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of layers to this, right? Worry, anxiety, it's at an all time high. Like, and, and here's, here's, Part of the reason we need to observe that is because it's not getting better with the advancements in technology and society, okay? Like, these things are marketed to make your life easier, better, right? More connected or whatever. Listen, our anxiety level goes through the roof because of the connectedness that we have. It's a good thing in a lot of ways, but man, it is a negative in so many others, right? Like the amount of, of information that we have to deal with and process on a daily basis, on a minute by minute basis is unbelievable and unprecedented in history, right? The amount of information that we're just inundated in, if you don't take control of those alerts, like quick, just quick public service announcement, you can tell your phone what you want to see and what you don't want to see. Okay? You don't know how, ask your grandkids. They will help you. You could turn off your notifications, right? You don't have to read every news alert that comes across your phone. You could turn that mess off, okay? All the beeps, all the alerts or whatever, it will drive you insane. And to top all that, not only are we, you know, it, all the social media and all of these you know, apps and news and news is evolving, right? It's not just sit down and watch the news that comes on twice a day. It's all sorts of avenues, you know, apps and pushing articles out, podcasts and all these things are coming at us all the time. So we're at an all-time high of information and we're at an all-time high for anxiety. Okay, so <clears throat> as we approach these things, Jesus is, is saying, hey, I care about that. And I don't want you to be anxious. You see, there's a lot of kings that actually want their subjects to be anxious. You ever thought about that? Probably can even apply to 
stuff we're seeing right now, right? Some communist countries. Like they, they, some of those leaders will thrive on the anxiety of their people because if they can keep them anxious, they can keep their subjects anxious, right? Then they have power over them, right? They're, they're, they're more likely to, to bow to their, you know, what, what they're putting out there because they, they, you know, they create this need for that person. Listen, it's more subtle, but our politicians do the same doggone thing, don't they? Creating, like, amplifying and magnifying these crises and these needs. And I'm not saying they're not real, but they, but they will use that mess to leverage it to make us think that we need them to solve it, right? They're really good at magnifying the problem for us and then presenting themselves as the solution to that problem, right? And so, and, and listen, same thing. We're talking about news media and all that stuff. Like, we know, like, the news media, they know what's going to get our attention, and it's the negative stuff. If it bleeds, it leads, right? Like there's this idea in the, like, in the news media and what they're going to report on, the negative headlines are going to get us to click more. It's, it's more likely that we will stop and click. And, and so, man, not only is it information, but it's negative information. And it's this amplification of these issues so that people in power can you know, position themselves to be the ones who solve those issues. So we are just wrapped up in this place of, of anxiety. But Jesus says, hey, I'm not like those other kings of the past. I'm not like the rulers. I'm not like politicians who need to feel needed. I, Jesus says, no, no, my kingdom won't be built on the backs of my people's anxiety. My kingdom will be coming to set my people free from their anxiety. This is what he's talking about. Remember? Don't forget the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom proclamation. This is what kingdom life is like. Okay? And so Jesus is saying, listen, I want to set you free. From your anxiety. I want you to be free from worry. So verse 25 of Matthew 6 starts by talking about therefore. Okay? Now, anytime you see that in a passage, what you gotta you know see what the therefore is, therefore, right? You're gonna look back. Okay, it's clearly referring to something in, in the previous passage. So again, sometimes our headings and our verses can, can take away some of the meaning if we just separate these into different chunks. Jesus is continuing a flow of thought where he's just been talking about how we can't serve God and money. Okay, he's saying, you can't serve both God and money, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and, and if you decide you're going to try to serve God and money or two different masters, you're going to end up hating one and loving the other. It will eat you up. It will consume you, Jesus says. So don't do that, right? Trust in God, right? It, and all of this is in the context of him reminding us, hey, your father, our father knows what you need. Our father is, is kind. Our father will reward you. Our father hears you. This is, this is the great refrain of this passage of scripture, right? Our father, you interact with God as a child of God. If you've been saved, then, then you are a child of God, and you don't have to interact with God as the Gentiles or people who don't know God. You don't have to try to get something out of him by punching the correct order of, of some, you know, prayer and, and, and that's memorized or, or you got to give this amount and do this thing. And if you dial the, the code just right and get the combination just right, then you'll have access to God. No, the access to God is Jesus' spilled blood on the, on the cross. Amen? Like that is what makes a way. If you're here and you don't know that, if you have not been reconciled into a relationship with God, that is your first and, and greatest need. That's why Jesus tells us to pray that our, you know, that our, our sins would be forgiven. Like before we get into any other need, we have to start there and know that our first and greatest need is that we are forgiven and restored to God. So if you're here and that you haven't done that before, like before you go on into any other receiving of this sermon or others or anything about Christianity, you got to know that the, the primary point of Christianity is we are, 
We are alienated. We are removed from the source of life, and that is God. And the only way to be restored is not, as, as Brody said in the video, like it's, it's not about something we earn. It's something that is bestowed upon us through our faith in Jesus. So what does that mean? If you trust in Jesus, you, you realize you're a sinner, and you have no way to get to God, and that's your problem. It's the root of all of your struggles and all of your issues is you're a sinner, you were made for God, and yet you can't get to God on your own. You confess that and you realize that Jesus is the way that you'll get to God, that Jesus is the one who died for our sins and rose again so that we could be saved. And you, you say, God, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I wanna make him the Lord of my life. The Bible says you can be born again. New life, salvation, right in that moment. So if you haven't done that, man, that's your opportunity today. That's the, like, you can do it now. Like, we'll stop the service, pray, rejoice. Heaven will rejoice with you. Like, now, that is the, the invitation from our, from our Lord. For, the, for those of us that have, have walked that path already, don't forget that you're interacting with God as a child interacts with his father. And no matter what your father has been like, this father is a good father. And he's our father in heaven. And he says, listen, you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be anxious. Okay? And that's the command. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, right? What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll put on, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and your body more not, not more than clothing? So he's saying, hey, since you can't serve God in money, don't serve money. That'll eat you up. Serve God, and therefore, when you're serving God, you don't have to be anxious about this stuff. And you say, well, I need, like, I, I kind of need clothes, right? It's important, and it is. We'd prefer you wear those when you come in, right? It is important that you have clothes. It's important that you have food. Like, all of that is true. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to be anxious about them. God knows what you need. He said that earlier. He knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to be anxious about these things. And now he's... He, Listen, some of y'all just hear that and go, I know. I, I, it, like some of you guys, this is how you interact with sermons like this. You go, I know, I need to not be so anxious, <laughs> right? You're like, I got to do better at that. Listen, that's not how Jesus treats you. He doesn't just look at you and say, stop being anxious. Right? Sometimes we get frustrated with our kids, don't we? Or at least we, we do in the birdhouse. Oh my gosh, I told you 17 times, right? Stop that. Anybody know how to control their kids' volume, vocal volume? Just see me afterward if you do, because that, like, we got boys trying to nap, and my girls just don't have volume control. We've told them their whole life, but so, why don't you get it? The Lord doesn't look at you like that. This don't be anxious isn't coming across as, hey, stop being anxious. Like, he's not, he's not frustrated. He's not angry with you, and that's evidence because he's going to give us about eight good reasons why we don't have to be anxious, okay? So he's so kind and so fatherly saying, hey, don't be anxious, and here's why. Here's why. The first is that life is more than about food and clothing. Okay? So he says, hey, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you'll drink, what, or about your body, what you'll wear, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, this is, this is just an important underlying reminder. We say it often, but, but Jesus is never trying to take from us. He's always trying to lead us to more. Okay, he's never trying to lead us to a life of, of less. He's always trying to lead us to a life of more, but we have to let him define what life is and what more life is, not the world, right? Jesus said he came to bring abundant life, right? You know that verse, likely, John 10, right? It, I come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly, depending on what translation you memorize that verse in. 
Now, when Jesus came to bring life, was he towing a food truck and a clothing warehouse? It sounds silly, but I want you to answer that question. Like, I want you to think about it. In reality, that would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it? If that's all life was about, just make sure you have the provisions you need physically, make sure you got food to eat and clothes to put on, that's a whole lot easier for him to just like, you know, drop out of heaven for us. A whole lot easier than what he did going to the cross, right? But it's not what the abundant life is about. Like, we need these things, that's, that's true, but Jesus came to bring us life, and it goes far deeper than that. He says, this is what life is, over and over again, particularly in the Gospel of John. Right after feeding the 5,000, there's this conversation of like, hey, you really want life? Like, you gotta, you gotta partake of me. And people are like, bro, we're not cannibals. I don't know what you mean. And he's like, you, you, have, to, you have to consume me. You have to be focused on me. You have to come after me. That is what will get you life. In John 17, when he's praying about his disciples that he's about to leave and his disciples that will come after them, that's us. He's saying that they may know life, and this is, this is eternal life, that they know you, God, that they know God. That, that's the, the work of the gospel, it even says in John 6, is that we know God, right? So Jesus is getting at something deeper. Yeah, I know you need food. I know you need clothes, but don't get anxious about those things because here's the deal. That's not the ultimate highest calling in life. It's about knowing him. It's about experiencing him. But listen, our world is very pervasive and very subtle about convincing us what our needs are. And this is a source of the problem, right? Because when we either name something as a need or we make an agreement with the enemy or even just like an advertising company or whatever that this is a need, we are sure to be headed into anxiety pretty quickly. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is saying, hey, I've given you what you need, and I will give you what you need. That's the point of the coming passages, <laughs> the examples he's going to give in just a minute. But life is about more than just what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. But listen, isn't, isn't that the whole idea of advertising is to convince you that, that you don't have life until you've got that newest iPhone? I don't even know what the difference is. Another camera? I, can I see more things? Like, I don't, what, what, why? Why do I need the new one? I don't know, right? But they've convinced us that we do, and we get consumed with it. Right? Or clothes or, or, or vehicles or a house or, or whatever it is, right? We get, we get convinced and, and we make this agreement that, oh, I need that. Right? But if you're, if you're in the parent role and your kid goes there, it's a little easier to go, now, really, do you need that? Is that a need or a want? Right? Like we can walk them through that process, right? We need the Bible to walk us through that process, don't we? Because we decide things are needs when they're really not. And that's what leads us to anxiety. So Jesus is saying, listen, life's about more than this. It's not less than. He doesn't want you to be cold and hungry. He doesn't. Okay? But it's about more than that. It's about more than that. Right? This, isn't this what Solomon said at the end of his great book of Ecclesiastes when he says, hey, I'm going to figure out what life's about. He goes through all these things. He says, you know what the sum of it is? You know what I figured out in my great experiment? I did all the things, all the things I could try. Women, money, cars, buildings, whatever, right? They have cars, but you know what I mean? Like lots of carriages and horses and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, really decked out all the, the newest things. He did all of it, but he says, 
here's the sum. Here's what I decided. Here's what I, the conclusion I came to. Here's what life's about. You want to get meaning out of life? Fear God, obey his commands. That's where you'll find sustenance. That's where you'll find like food that sticks to your ribs, right? As our parents used to say. This other stuff, it, it'll fill you up for a moment, but it, it, it doesn't have the sustenance. It's not there, right? It's like, it's like a vapor. This is what Paul, this is what he, this is what he said. It, and, and this is what Jesus will say later. Hey, you want to find your life, you got to lay it down. You want to find life. You want to figure out what life is about. Lay down your own idea of what's going to make you happy and pursue Jesus, and you'll find it. Those who seek to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. That's another way of saying exactly what he's saying in verse 33. It's a really popular verse that we're going to get to in just a moment, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things will be added to you. That's what Jesus is saying. You're trying to get those other things. You're going to find that those other things end up destroying you, and you don't enjoy them anyway. All right, so that's the idea. That's the big thesis. That's the, that's the one point. Jesus doesn't want you to be anxious. He's a good king. He doesn't want you to be free from worry. He does not want you to be anxious, okay? Life is about more than, than the stuff. He doesn't want you to be anxious, but he knows. He knows we're going to struggle, so he's going to go on to give us several points of reflection about why, okay? Why, why shouldn't we be anxious? He says in verse 26, real simply, he says, hey, guys, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. Watch them. Jesus is such a brilliant teacher. Right? He points us to things that we're familiar with, but we've never pondered and considered. He says, watch them. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, I'm in verse 26, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than them? Now, here's the reality. A bird, as you watch them, is hardly the picture of laziness, Right? busy, right? They're flying all over, building their nest, you know, like getting this bit of food, you know, padding up their nest, like, like they're busy. Food's gone here, I'm going to fly down there, right? Like they are, they are not the picture of laziness, but, but here's what they don't do. They, you don't see them fretting and, 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 and freaking out like God's not going to provide for them tomorrow, like that God's not, you know, like that they're prepping in such a way that they're preparing for God to not be there tomorrow, that they're preparing for God's demise on the next day. No, they, they continue to just do what's in front of them, do what's been put before them, and, and trust that God will be there the next day. They go about their work, in such a way that they believe that when the sun comes up tomorrow, God will still be God. And he's got them, right? So it, it doesn't mean that we're just lazy. Say, well, I'm just, here to read my, I'm just here to read my Bible, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and, and all this other stuff will be handed to me, right? So I'm just going to read and pray all day, and God's going to be entitled to, you know, pay my bills and feed my family. no. Seeking the king, like part of the kingdom is working, right? Part of the kingdom is doing your job, providing your family, caring for others, using the resources he's given you. So, so don't read into it something it's not saying. He's simply saying the birds, they're, they're not putting up stuff in storehouses. They're not freaking out in such a way that they think God's not going to show up tomorrow. They simply do the work that is put before them. They live their day in a way that, that shows trust to God. And, he, and Jesus says, hey, aren't you much more valuable than them? Right? Like God never leaves them hanging. Aren't you, aren't you more valuable than them? You see, if you don't know that, you are. You are. Human life is made in the image of God, making it of the utmost value. 
We don't take it lightly. That's why we care about things like uh, abortion. That's why we care about things uh, caring for life from, from, from the cradle to the grave. Like we, we, we care about life because God has said it's precious. It's sacred. And that's you and I. We're, we're image bearers. We're made in the image of God. And we have a capacity to glorify God, to obey him, to, to exhibit faith in him that the birds don't. Right? So we have a capacity to, to bring glory to him by living out our faith that the birds don't. So Jesus says, hey, don't, don't fret. Don't have anxiety about what you're going to eat. God, God takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you as well. Now he's going to get really practical in verse 27. He says this, and by which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? So Jesus is really, just, just really kindly, just, just getting our attention. He's going, hey, it, it won't work. It won't work. And I know that anxiety is not logical. Like, I get that. Those of you who struggle with anxiety and chronic anxiety, it's not like you don't just need to hear information that connects dots for you. I get it. I, I'm not trying to make a lot of that. It perpetuates in you. In you, you, you fixate on things like, and, and, it, and it, it seems like it has a hold of your, like somebody has a hold of your neck and you can't really breathe. Like I, I understand anxiety is a powerful thing that is not connected to logic, but Jesus is simply saying, hey, consider this. It's not effective. It doesn't, it doesn't work. He's not shaming you, right? He's going to go on with more promises here in just a moment, but he wants you to think about it for just a moment. Who, he says, by, by being anxious, by worrying, which one of you, he says, by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And, right, and with all the study that I mentioned earlier, with all the, 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 you know, the concentration on anxiety disorders, we, we've actually realized quite the opposite is true, right? That worry and anxiety is going to shorten your life, if anything. Right? It's going to be connected to things like you know, other physical diseases, like heart disease and things. It's going, to, it's going to take hours from your life, not lead to adding more. And, and just practically speaking, God's like, I got your life figured out from the beginning to the end, and your anxiousness is not going to add anything to that. So, so, so rest. Rest. He, he's, he's compelling his people to take a deep breath. And acknowledge, that, man, my worry, my anxiety won't actually add a day to my life. And I know that you've got your own list of, well, but, Jordan, you don't know about this. And, and like, I, I get it. And I don't know about all of the intricacies of the details of your life. But, but Jesus does. And he's saying, I don't want you to be anxious. I want you to rest. I want you to rest. The famous psalm from Psalm 46, I think, is uh, just a good word for, for most of us daily, particularly those of you who struggle deeply with anxiety. The invitation from God there, and the same one from Jesus here, is, hey, I want you to be still. I want you to stop. Okay? Martha scurrying around. If you know the story, Jesus is there. Mary and Martha are sisters. Mary's hanging out at Jesus' feet. Martha's scurrying around. She's doing all the things she can. She's worried about the kitchen. She's worried about the meal. She's worried about the house, and she gets mad. Any of y'all, any of y'all would be cleaning up, and you're just mad that nobody else cares? Like, y'all see the mess I see, right? Husbands, don't nudge your wives. Don't do it. 
That's, that's, that's Martha. She's mad. And he comes, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you, can you snap Mary out of it because there's stuff to do? Like we can, we can rest after the work is done. Some of y'all, that was really ingrained to you as a kid, right? And that's not a bad, like you should, you know, you work before play. That's not wrong. But like, she's like, oh, and she's mad. And Jesus says, hey, listen, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. There's a lot of things that can distract us. It's kind of, you break down the, the word there of anxiety, like it, it's kind of related to distraction. Earlier, in last week's passage, you talked about having a, a singular eye, right? Or our heart's focused in one particular area. Like that's seeking first, being, being totally devoted to the Lord. That's the idea. And, when, and there's a lot of things that can distract us from that. And when we do, we miss out on the one good thing, the one thing that life is actually about. So Jesus says, hey, it's not going to work. Instead, won't you be still and know that I'm God? And he goes on to say, verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So again, Jesus draws their attention to, they're, they're, you know, they're outside on a mountain, right? They're not in a sanctuary like this. They're outside on a mountain. And Jesus is probably pointing to actual birds, actual flowers. He's saying, look, look at these, look at these flowers. Look at the birds. Are, look, look at these flowers, right? Like the beauty that comes. We're, we're in spring season. My, one of my kids asked the other day, why is it raining so much? I agree. But right. So the flowers, that's my wife. Like that's going to bring the beauty of the spring flowers, right? And as those come up, you need to be reflected and reminded like, man, it's such simple beauty in that. But it's something, like, you can't control that, right? You can plant a seed, you can water it, but, like, that's just, that's just God doing that. It should create awe and worship in you as you see things like that in the world. You go, man, God, right? God does that. I, you know, you see a dandelion growing up through the concrete, and you're fussing about it, but you're also like, man, I don't, God made that weed resilient, Right? Paul Tripp talks about like one of the things for your kids, you should just point out stuff like that all the time so that they have an awe of God. Connect the dots for them. You talk about yeast when you're baking bread, like talk about that. Like God did that, right? The flowers of the field. So Jesus is saying, listen, look at the, look at the flowers. Solomon lived a life that brought people from all over the world to come and look and behold his glory. Some of y'all like to, you know, click through uh, house listings, right? just to see what so-and-so's house looked like on the inside. MTV Cribs used to be a thing. All right, you want to see what Tom and Giselle are selling one of their mansions? You want to just like click through. You ain't got $6.7 million or whatever that would need to be the down payment. You just want to see it, right? You just want to see it. Solomon was in an unspeakable, cat unspeakable category of wealth. And Jesus saying, those flowers put him to shame. They're simple, elegant beauty. Not even Solomon can compete with that. So he says, 
If God so clothes the grass of the field, he, he, he's calling them flowers, but he's reminding us that it's just grass. It's there for a moment. Tomorrow's going to be thrown in the oven. Will he not also care for you? Will he not also clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. This is the issue. The issue is faith. Faith, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen, right? I might have flipped that around, but, but you get it, right? Like, we don't know for sure, right? Like, we, we can't say for sure that the, it's going to be there tomorrow, but having faith in God is, is, is choosing to trust him in that. That's the whole thing that he's inviting us to. We looked at, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, the whole idea of give us this day our daily bread. It's taken us back to the Exodus story. They're, God is dealing with the people who have been treated harshly, who have been denied food, who have been treated as slaves, and they get brought into the desert, and they go, great, good job, Moses. You brought us out here to starve to death, right? And God goes, no, 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 hang on. Here's manna from heaven, but I want you to take just enough for today, Try to take enough for tomorrow. You think I'm not going to show up. You're going to hoard it, right? Just in case God doesn't show up. Just in case he decides he doesn't love us after all. I'm going to keep just a little bit of extra. He says, you do that, it's going to spoil. Why? Because I want you to have this relationship of dependency on me. I want you to have faith in me. That's what he's inviting us to. That's where life is found. So he's saying, look at the lilies. Look at the field, the flowers of the field. God's taking care of them. He'll also take care of you. Don't have little faith. So, some of you are going to play devil's advocate and be like, I mean, I know that God says he, he promises to clothe us, but there, you know, like sometimes I don't feel like I have what I need. And there's people in third world countries that, you know, like, like they don't, God doesn't seem to have adorned them. Like what, what is this a, you know, you start to poke holes in the argument, but here's, here's the problem with that. You're letting a, a worldly standard define whether or not God has provided or not. Okay. So you're letting your standard of living, whatever you think should be there, prove whether or not God has showed up for that person. Before you lean too heavily on that argument, I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself a question. What are, you, what are you basing that off of, right? Whose standard are you using to measure whether or not God has showed up? Have you ever seen a disciple? I want you to ask an honest question. Have you ever seen a disciple who didn't have what he needed to do what God had called him to do? Yeah, he might not have name brand clothes. Might not even have shoes. Regularly, Jesus would tell people they're going to come follow him. Like, you sure? Foxes have dens, birds have nests. I ain't got a bed. You come with me, we're doing this homeless style, okay? So careful before you start accusing God of not providing for you or someone else by what that standard of provision is. Because if you're saying, if you've let the world tell you what you need, then you will be frustrated often that God hasn't served that standard of living. But if you let the Bible define what you need. You realize, oh, it's about serving God. It's about seeking his kingdom. And then 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3 becomes really powerful and really true when it says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay, so when it comes to pursuing godliness, he will not withhold any good thing from you. He's given it all to you. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his promises. He's given you himself. So he's saying, hey, God, God, he's got you. You'll have clothes, right? Might not be name brand, kids, but you'll have clothes. Be okay. Verse 32, he's going to press a little bit further. 
He says, for the Gentiles, and, and for them, just real simply, that's people who aren't followers of Jesus. That's people who aren't believers, right? We should look different than them, right? We don't draw these lines of separation where we don't interact with them, right? It's not that the church needs to huddle up and never interact with the world. We need to be the salt and light that goes into the world. But we're, we're of the world, but we're in the world, but not of the world, right? We're, we have this distinction, this set-apartness. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you're acting like this, if you're having the same anxieties as the world, then you're showing that, hey, you're actually not any different than the world. He says the Gentiles act like this. Verse 32, they seek after all these things. But you, your, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That's the distinction that he's made over and over and over again in this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. People who don't know God are interacting with him in this way. They think if they are religious, they think if they do good deeds, they think if they act this way, give this much, treat people this way, that God will be indebted to them and that they can call upon him for the things they need and they can get into heaven when they die and those sorts of things. He's saying, listen, that is not how we interact with God. There is not good people and bad people. They're all bad people. The only way to interact with God is through Jesus Christ. We all realize that we're flawed and imperfect people and Jesus is the only way forward. And so he's saying, that changes how we interact with God. Don't forget you're dealing with your father and he already knows your needs. He already knows your needs. So don't, don't act like that. Unbelievers live a life of anxiety because they don't have the promises of God. They're not sure. It really is up to them. You have promises that transcend that. Verse 33, famous passage. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Okay, so again, he just said earlier, Father already knows what you need. Okay, so, so seek him. Seek his purposes for you. Don't, don't give him the leftovers. Last week we looked at money and we challenged ourselves to think through, okay, are, are we giving at all? And if we are, are we giving out of the bottom or out of the top? It's kind of easy to think about with money. We're like, all right, if you approach your budget in such a way, you're, okay, I got I to gotta pay this bill. I got to have this much money for, you know, the, the house and the food and the kids' clothes and all these things. And Okay, what's left? Okay, I can give God this amount. Well, that's not treating him as God. That's giving him leftovers. But if we approach it and say, okay, God, this is all yours. How much do how much you want me to keep? How much do you want me to give back to you, right? We start from the top and say, okay, I'm going to honor the Lord by giving this much. And then we're going to make our other decisions based off of that. Okay? Well, life is, is, is more than just money. How are we doing that? Are we, how are we approaching things with that, right? How are we approaching life? Are we, are we filling up our schedules with stuff that we have to do and then deciding whether or not we can come to church? Right? And we're filling our schedule with all of the, the things we got to do for work and all the soccer games and the baseball games and all, uh oh, right? All the things, right? And then we'll see if we can make community group. Then we'll see if we can make student ministry. Then we'll see if we can make God a priority. You are setting yourself up for anxiety. You understand that, right? You can't serve God and money. Can't serve. You're like, well, it's not about money. I know. But money is beyond just, like, the idea of mammon here is beyond just. Money, it's, it's possessions, it's stuff, it's, it's, it's accolades, it's, it's things that are of this world. And he says, you can't serve both. But if you, if you seek the kingdom first, it'll be added to you. So you're saying, Jordan, can we not play sports? Absolutely, you can play sports. But seek the kingdom first. Surrender that to the, to the kingdom, and then let come what may. You tell the coach, hey, I'm sorry, but we won't, we won't be, if, if this is a league where we play every Sunday, we won't be in the league. 
or we won't be there on Sunday games or whatever. Like, I, and maybe a Sunday, like occasionally my kids are in gymnastics and there's a couple Sunday meets. I get it, there's a tension, you gotta wrestle with it. But if it's perpetually gonna take you out of the, the life of serving the Lord and the life of being in his, in, his, in his church and around his people, then you need to serve him first and trust that he'll handle whatever consequences come from you missing that league or missing that thing or declining that job. Right? Seek him first. It's not just about church attendance. It's what, how are you posturing your life? Because if you say, you know what? God's got me, and I'm going to serve him. And these are the big rocks that go in my bucket for my life. They're about him first. If I've got time left over, I'll do those things. If I've got margin left over, I'll do those things. But, I, but he comes first. He says, listen, you serve me. You seek my kingdom. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. I know what you need. I know you need clothes. I know you need food. I'm not a bad father. I will provide for you. Seek me first. The famous uh, line from C.S. Lewis says this, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you won't get either. If you aim at heaven, you seek first the kingdom of heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. What does that mean? It's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 33. You seek first the kingdom of heaven, he'll make sure you have what you need here. If you aim at earth and still hope you're going to squeak into heaven by manipulating God with your religious activity, you'll end up getting neither. And that's, that's both, like, if, if you don't make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're not on your way to heaven. So that, that's, that's the biggie on the eye chart. But then beyond that, you're also not going to enjoy the things of earth. If you are looking at the things of earth in such a way that you're hoping they will fulfill you, you're going to turn them into idols. You're going to misuse them in such a way that you'll end up serving them. And they will end up eating you alive. You realize that? That's the, that's the concern of Jesus here. He's not trying to take from you, church. He's trying to warn you that if you look to these other things, these provisions, and you start trying to get life out of them, they'll start living you. They'll start working you over. They'll start dominating you and taking from you. But if you surrender, you serve him, he'll make sure you got what you need. And then you'll be able to enjoy them rightly, right? Now I can enjoy some good food. I can enjoy clothes when I, when I have the money to buy nice, like name brand clothes. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to have that in perspective. Otherwise, it will lead to anxiety. Remember, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus says, I know what makes you anxious. And this is his invitation. So we need to take some honest stock of our life. What are you anxious about? Right? And be honest about that. Think about it. This goes further into revealing what your treasure is. Right? So we could talk about money, like where your money goes, that's going to reveal what your treasure is. This is going to go even further. What are you anxious about? What do you lose sleep about? What do you, what do you twitch about? What do you worry about? Surrender that to the Lord. And he closes with what, this is, a, this is a curious verse, isn't it? Verse 34. It almost seems like a renege. He's like, hey, don't be anxious. And he's like, well, I mean, you got to be anxious about today, but then tomorrow, like, just don't do, like, no, no. But, but it's so beautiful, so practical what Jesus is acknowledging here, that there will be things that require our attention. There will be things that we have to decide on and focus on. And there will be things we have to worry about. But listen to how he frames it. He says, don't be anxious, verse 34, about, your, about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
right? What, what's he saying here? He's like, listen, like, you're going to have to handle things. You're going to have to cross that bridge. Like, you're going to get that. But don't, don't misappropriate God's allotted troubles in the future. Okay, he knows that, right? Matthew, John chapter 16, another famous part. He says, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble, tribulation, trial, suffering, whatever. However you want to translate that. But, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, come follow me and you won't have any trouble. No. He's saying, there, there will be trouble. But someone across the old Billy Graham clip, and, and he was talking about worry and the offer of Jesus. He said, it's like being in the eye of a hurricane, right? There's, there's peace there. Jesus is not going to take away the hurricane. The world's going to keep being crazy. Your life's going to keep being chaotic. But he's offering you peace. He's offering you rest. He's offering you comfort, salvation in the midst of it. So don't, like, he's got you in the eye of the hurricane. Don't run off into the winds, right? Like, don't run, don't run ahead of him. Don't, don't step out of that comfort by taking tomorrow's trouble. He's got it. He knows it's there. He put it there. He's going to use it for your sanctification and for his glory. He knows what's coming tomorrow. Don't misappropriate it by taking it into today and, and causing it and letting it cause you anxiety. And here's where our faith comes in. Do we believe that God will be God tomorrow? Do we trust that He will be on the throne tomorrow? If so, we can rest. I don't mean to say this is going to be easy. This will be harder for some of you than others. This will be a daily, hourly, regular. But I, some of you really struggle with depression, and it is rooted in anxiety. I certainly don't want to make light of it, but man, I don't want to pull Jesus' punches either. Right? I'm going to let the word, like I want, I want you to let the word set rightly on your heart because he's trying to sh unshackle the chains that got you weighed down, right? He's trying to set you free. He wants this to be a day that, that you're, you're, Set free from that. And you may go, well, until this happens, I won't be free. Well, listen, he wants to give you peace and rest in the midst of your chaos. It's an incredible story. If you read Psalm 3 and 4, David wrote those while being on the run from his own son who's trying to kill him and take his throne. Now, there's a lot going on there. Not only is there a bounty on his head and his country is turned against him, but it's his own family drama. Anybody got family drama? Don't raise your hands. It's hard, isn't it? Goodness, it's hard. Kids, not following the Lord, not respecting you, not loving you, like it's hard. You're crazy aunts and uncles, you got parents, you got disease, you got cancer. It's hard. In the midst of his own son pursuing him, he has had to leave his throne and he's living in caves. Psalm 4 is penned. And verses 7 and 8 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and their wine and when they abound in that. In peace, listen to this, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Only Jesus can offer you that in the midst of your chaotic life. Peace, this rest. I want to end with a passage from Romans chapter 8. It says this, 
Verse 31 and 32 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is Paul looking to a church and saying, Listen, church, I know there's stuff. I know there's worry. I know there's chaos. But if God's got us, who can, who can really come against us? Right? And if he, if he gave us our need so far as giving his only son, what's he going to withhold? What good thing will he keep from us if he gave his only son? That is where we find rest. It is not in circumstances changing for you. Stuff's still going to be hard. But you can find peace. You can find rest. And it's, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so I want to end today with communion. Y'all thought we forgot, didn't we? I want to end with communion. Go ahead and grab it. If you don't, if you don't have it, there's some at the table there. And I want us to focus really closely on this meal. Again, if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to partake. If you're not a follower of Christ, I invite you to listen and observe. And man, maybe cry out and trust him right now. Because this meal is given to us as a proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is the good news, right? It's all so beautiful. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, God commanded his people to, to remember. Even to build little memorials. Ebenezer's, different stones, different, like, mark the place, tell the story, Remind your kids, tell it for generation after generation, how God has provided, how God saved, how God rescued, how God is our provider. He is Savior. Over and over again, he commands them to throw festivals yearly. Like, you're like, man, what's all these parties? There's really specific instructions. He wants his people to remember and to celebrate and to rejoice. For us, Jesus simplifies it. And he gives us this meal. He says, take it when you gather together. Remember this above all. Remember this. Build your faith on this foundation. Remember this. As often as you do this, you're proclaiming my death until I come. And, and we're looking forward to the day when all our anxieties are taken away. Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this again until I'm with y'all in the kingdom. But y'all eat it every time you gather. And you wait. And you long for me. Take your anxiety, aim it at the kingdom. Your worries, turn them into prayer and then trust him and rejoice. So this, this meal, this broken bread is Jesus saying, hey, I know life is hard. I know you have anxieties. I've come, I've lived it, and I've given my own life for you. So take and eat. This is my body broken for you. That same meal, he has a cup and he pours it, he pours the cup, and as he does so, he says, This is this is the blood of the new covenant. This is where our hope lies. You're gonna be tempted to think you gotta do it on your own. You're gonna be tempted to think you gotta take it back from the Lord. No. The seal, the purchase, the price has been paid. It will be with my own blood, Jesus said. So take and drink. That's the promise we rest in, church. Jesus has us. He ransomed us with his own life. If you're not here, if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, man, he's the king. <laughs> and he's a king that wants to free you from your anxieties. 
Come trust him today. If you're here, and man, you're his child, he cares about your anxieties. He cares about your fears. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your pain. Come to him. Don't try to be tough, macho. Don't, come to him. There's somebody sitting next to you that would love to pray with you. There's going to be folks down front that will be on the edges here, that community group leaders and elders that would love to pray with you. You can just come and sit at the altar as we sing this final song. Let's get ready to respond. Jesus, thank you for giving of yourself to rescue us from our own sin and anxiety and fear. Thank you that you can look at us with kind, fatherly, victorious eyes and say, hey, fear not. I got you. Help us to rejoice, to grow closer to you, to grow stronger in our faith as we respond to this from your word. It's in Jesus' name, amen.